1: Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Joining me on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show is the undisputed queen of black hair, Charlotte Menser. She is a member of the British Hairdressing Awards Hall of Fame, has won Afro Hairdresser of the Year three times, is the Artistic Director of Salon Hair Lounge, which incidentally is meant to be one of the nicest places to spend time and get your hair done in London, and is the founder of the Charlotte Mensa Manchetti Oil Products. Charlotte has spent three decades styling thousands of people and she has recently poured her knowledge and expertise into a new book, Good Hair. It's the ultimate guide on how to identify and understand your hair texture, how to look after your hair, how to overcome hair loss and an itchy scalp, as well as how to perfect styles such as cornrows, locks and bantu knots. It really is long overdue and I can tell you it's a brilliant, brilliant read. It's so, so informative. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, then you'll know I am fascinated by stories of success, especially where there was no blueprint or obvious path to achieve it. Unraveling Charlotte's incredible career story is especially captivating for this reason because she's honest about the challenges and also reflects on how being in a visual creative industry pre-social media actually encouraged originality and meant there wasn't so much comparison. But what really struck me about my conversation with Charlotte was how positive and uplifting she is. Something she says during the podcast really resonated with me and I actually haven't been able to shake it since. It was about how no journey is ever easy. You've just got to learn to enjoy the tough bits and appreciate them as much as the good parts. I can totally, totally understand why Charlotte's salon is thought of so warmly. Why Charlotte is thought of so warmly by anyone who has ever visited it and anyone who has ever met her, honestly. Honestly. I have heard nothing but good things about Charlotte in my years in beauty and you will hear it in this conversation. She's incredibly warm, nurturing and generous. The links to Charlotte, her book Good Hair, which really is phenomenal. Her product line and everything that we discuss will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are listening to or streaming this episode. But I am so honoured to welcome Charlotte Mensah onto The Emma Gunn Show. Charlotte Mensah, it's so wonderful to have you on the Emma Gunn Show. And I've heard so many, I've heard so much about you over the years and the opportunity to actually sit down with you and get to hear about your career because we can get so caught up in overnight successes and suddenly discovering people who've been around for a long time. But I think when I think about you and I think about your career and I think about your success, I really think about hard work. I think about someone who's really grafted.
2: Yeah, it has been um, a very, very long journey. I was born in the UK and at the age of three months, I left to live with my grandparents in Accra in Ghana. Um, the reason being, my parents had just moved here in the 60s and they I was the first child that they had in the UK. And it was just very difficult for them to look after me and and still be able to work. So you know they were advised by advised by other family family members that it would have been much easier for them if I went to Ghana and lived with my grandparents. So I was in Ghana from the age of three months till eleven, and my grandparents were these two wonderful, They were just amazing my grandmother was a bit of a wonder woman she could do everything so she did our hair she sewed our clothes she cooked all the food and you know she was quite a leader in the community as well because she was a deaconess so she was like one of the first ladies of the church so a lot of people really respected her and she had this way of like sharing the word of god so she would Sort of um, get up at the crack of dawn and just sort of walk around the whole area, just spreading um, and encouraging people to love one another and 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 be kind to each other and and also to have some sort of spiritual connection. And she really believed in God, so that was her way of sharing and evangelizing and 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 bringing people together. And then my granddad was this man who was incredible. He um, he ran a brewery, so they made all the best Guinness, um, Star Beer, um, Supermalt. It was called Tata, and he was a very respected man who had this big business. Well, he, he co-runned it with his friend. And they, you know, he would bring me along to the meeting. So he he just, I don't know, he had this really um, I don't know, it was a bit like I was a bit of a a novelty when I arrived in Ghana because they said I came in this Moses basket and everybody was like, who is this child? She's, you know, it was like a bit of a celebrity turning up in this basket <laughs> three months. And they were very, um, yeah, they were just an amazing um, grandparents because my grandmother had eight children and all her eight children had kids. So there was close to over 40 of us living in this house. It was a very busy house. Wow yeah
1: it was a really busy busy house but and you have to tell me something charlotte though uh when was the first time you ever tasted guinness how old were you <laughs> do
2: you know what i must have been about five years old but i, <laughs> I never liked it <laughs> i never liked the bitter taste of it but in ghana it's such a popular drink like everywhere in ghana there's a big sign saying guinness the power guinness is good for you you know it's good for your blood to have guinness. <laughs> yeah so yeah, so that 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 was a great place to be and just being around them. And I think they they actually instilled in me, especially my granddad, because he would take me to these um business like board meetings. And I think not even knowing at five years old, it probably instilled in me the building blocks of business. And yeah, so I had a great time. I had a great time. I was really good at school. Um, he used to take me to the banks, and I used to really admire all the the women that worked in a bank, I loved how they look. I loved the authoritative, the leadership. And, you know, I loved the way they were independent. And I, I really liked that. So when I joined my mum at the age of 11, I was like, always in my mind, I always had this thing that I'm going to do something in finance. I never, ever thought of hair. But unfortunately, at the age of 13, my mother passed away.
0: I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. So... My younger sister was three years old at the time and I just became like the mother to my sister. So I started doing my sister's hair and, you know, we used to look in magazines and it felt like, you know, whenever I did the hair, it felt like mum was around. So it was like a nice, a really, yeah, it was a great time. Like just not even great, but it just like, it didn't feel as sad and it, had, it made
1: us more closer as well. Yeah, it was an. Um, I mean, the, yeah, go on. I was going to say, uh, the hair, doing your little sister's hair was an act of love, very maternal. Yes, yes, and and I think because I had fond
2: memories of my mum doing my own hair and my sister's hair, it was like a, yeah, it was like a ritual to 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 do her hair, and and also it was a bit of like therapy for us because we'll talk about. How much we missed her and you know how um yeah how yeah it was it was like a, a bit of a therapy and then at the age of 16 i mean it was quite traumatic because from then i had to move around a lot so i lived with lots of different aunties and uncles and eventually so i changed schools quite a lot as well so i ended up in north london in a um a secondary school and then um i did like I did all right I would say I didn't do as well I think I was like so much more brighter but I didn't
1: actually actually know that bit is wrong. Um, Uh, No (laughs) I think I know what you mean because I wasn't academically smart but I don't think I'm dumb I think I'm quite. No
2: no no I wasn't I was academically very smart because in Ghana I was always the first in my class I did well I was the first in maths first in English but I think the trauma of having that you know that tragedy Mm. that happened at 13 it really kind of yeah it just confused me a lot and um i became more creative like in terms of because i was constantly doing my sister's hair it became like a norm so when the careers officers came round at the age of 16 i just naturally chose to go into hairdressing and what well, were your
1: options back then because
2: so we had like i remember i was very good i chose all the kind of creative subjects so for my gcses i did things like needlework i did um home economics i did um i actually did woodwork as well so i was <laughs> yeah so i chose all the creative maybe because i found joy when i did those subjects and then the the, the like the maths and english which i liked also and. History I loved. I didn't, I, I don't know, for some reason I felt more happier when I did the more creative, like, mm-hmm. subjects. Was it working with your hands, do you think? Is yeah, it just- working with my hands. And also you see results. So you see results there and then. So if you're baking a cake, for instance, within 40 minutes you'll see the the cake baked and you're happy with it and you're like, tastes good and it's soft. And <laughs> But yeah, so I, I actually kind of was more happier doing those subjects and luckily I got into the first Afro salon to open in the UK called Splinters yeah and that was that on Maddox Street yeah that was on Maddox Street so So I I had never been to the West End before so you can imagine like (laughs) turning up in um, this Oxford Circus station walking down Regent Street and to this Amazing salon that looked like a five-star hotel. And they had so many people from like I mean, when I'm saying the celebrities like Dinah Ross, oh. um Bob Marley's Kids, um, all the newsreaders, all like um really big role models, like people that you know, like you'd only hear of on TV or you'd see in newspapers, and here you are like standing behind the chair, like you know, offering them a magazine or it, yeah, it was, it was a great place to be. And because it was a youth training scheme, I also attended the London College of Fashion. So that oh, wow. Was, yeah. And what, was what years with it was this? to six? It was 1986.
1: What a brilliant yeah. time. What an excellent time. Yeah, it was a time.
2: brilliant time. I mean, when I think about London, there was all of these really amazing, like you come out of the station, there was warehouse. That was such a good store. <laughs> And he had Jeff Banks as the creative designer of yeah, and you know they had so much cool stuff. Top Shop was amazing. Like whenever I got my tips, I run down to Topshop Shop <laughs> and buy my. <myself. laughs> you know that was like so cool. And then you had um, shops like Kensington Market. There was so many really cool um, places in London. There was um, a really cool shoe shop that I like called Red or Dead oh yeah 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 so there was some really um amazing and and even like the, the sort of people that were at um london college of fashion were like stella mccartney um alexandra mcqueen there was like yeah i mean they were there at the same time as me but they weren't my friends or anything but i remember them being there
1: Yes, yeah, so it was a really good time. It's funny, isn't it? There's often a time you can look back on in lots of different industries, but in the beauty industry especially, I feel like people will come up and they'll say, oh, yes, I was at college at the same time. And then there'll be other people who've, who have done great things, like you say, like Alexandra McQueen and, and Stella McCartney. There's mm. some, every now and again, there seems to be these little waves of magic that suddenly yeah. when they hit, they're so impactful. Yeah, I think that was such
2: a um, historic time for London, actually, because a lot of the people that, like even now, all of the people that I speak to that are doing really well, are all from that time, you know? Like, yeah, it's it's incredible how there was like a gem. There was like these diamonds that came through in that period from around 86 to the 90s. It was just some really, really amazing talents.
1: And if you had to say what it is about those people that have meant that they've stood the test of time, is there anything about that era, or about the approach to their careers that you think explains why people and you have done so well from that that, that particular group? I think I think we
2: we really were like we didn't have um, all this social media to compare ourselves to. So you had to you had to dream you had to you had to really push yourself. And I felt like um, we, we, we had like um, a more kind of, uh, what's the word to use? Uh, you know, like when you're just, you don't have anything. So you, you try your best to, to really make it all work. Yeah. And that meant like we, we read more because we had all these amazing libraries. We, um, we, we, um, I think we paid more attention. We paid more attention. We weren't so, like I find these days, kids are very quick to just, to, to just give up. They'll be like, oh, I'm gonna do this. Oh, it doesn't work, after two weeks they've given up. But we just kept trying and trying. We, um, we were original, we were original because like I said, you didn't have, you didn't have um, social media to look at someone's work and copy and paste it. You just had to create your own. So it made you push harder, it made you really dream bigger. And also, we had a lot of patience. We had much more patience. Like, kids now, I feel they have no patience. They're in a hurry. They want everything to be really quick. And we were, we were, we were willing to go through the process. I mean, I, I, I remember, like, um, having to shampoo hair for, like, nearly seven months of just shampooing hair. Like, I get juniors in my salon now. After two weeks, they're like, they want to be the stylist. They think they're better than you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, so it's very, um, it was very different times. And I think there was just, there was, I think life was easier as well, to be fair. It was just more, it was more for balance. It was more for balance. Now there's so much chaos. It's just, I feel sorry for kids actually now. Mm. It's, it's very chaotic out there and it's, it's very confusing everything that's going on. So
1: I guess that doesn't help. I remember Eugene Suleiman came on this podcast really early days. I think he was one of my first guests, first three guests. And he said that um, when he thinks about his early years in the salon, he just thinks about his hands bleeding at night when he got home because he spent every day, four hours, months on end at the (laughs) backwash.
2: It's so true. It's so true because I, like I said, you got into work and in my days in the 80s it was all about curly perms so it was the perms and honestly it was like if there was 40 clients a day there would be 40 neutralizers so your hands would turn into like prunes <laughs> but the thing is you you couldn't complain because where would you go to there, there wasn't like lots of choices where you could just freelance or just go on instagram and you got 10 followers so you become a stylist overnight you had to stick it through. I mean, there, was, there were people that felt like, oh, it wasn't for them and they left. But all the people that I knew that stuck through with it are now doing incredible things. So I felt like we had more patience. We were more grounded as well. We were more grounded because we weren't so like, I feel like everyone thinks they're very important now. And they haven't even done anything, but they think they're important. You're like, well what have you done what, when when did you actually and you know they they feel like um you know they've got like fifty comments and a thousand likes, and because of that they're very important and <laughs> and they're very successful but it's <laughs> it's it's really sad <laughs> it's sad that um that's the kind of world we're living in now
1: you said something i mean we can unpick that, but I also want to go back to something that you said earlier said you you said we We had dreams and I very much believe in dreams. Mm -hmm. And if you dream it, then you can possibly make it happen. Because if you kind of know what it looks like, then you'll know if you're on your way towards it. So with regard to your dream specifically, because let's fast forward a little bit before we go back. Right now you have one of the you are one of the biggest names in beauty. You've been inducted into the British Hairdressing Awards Hall of Fame, you've won Afro Hairdresser of the Year three times, you have this incredible salon which is known as this hub of excellence for hair, but also excellence for humanity and being a really nice place to be. Was that the dream? When did the dream begin to crystallise and did it change form throughout the years?
2: I, I always like. You know, when I when I got into Splinters, I loved it. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the community because it reminded me of being in Ghana and my grandmother and my granddad. That love, you know, that sharing, people would come in and they were great role models. I would always look at these people and think, I'd love to be like that one day. I always would look at them and admire them and just think that could be me. But I still didn't think it would happen. I think... For me, it all kind of changed when I had my son. So I had my son quite young. I had my son at 23, and by then I'd finished my training. I was now working as a junior stylist, and I, I wanted to. I wanted our life to be like really different from. You know, my mom had eight kids, and she she struggled a lot, and she died really young. So I wanted to be different, and I, you know, I wanted to drive a car. I wanted to buy my own house. So. If, I think being in splinters and seeing those great role models affirmed something in me that, listen, you can do this, you can achieve it. So I, I then started thinking about business. You know, I started thinking about what would it look like if I had my own salon? What would, I, what would I like it to be? What That's why I called it Hair Lounge because I wanted that space where we can we can share and feel safe and really encourage one another because I think as women, we're so good when we we're together in groups and we share and we 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 advise each other and we mentor each other and we we actually encourage one another and, and just give each other a pat on the back. So I started thinking about it from when I first had my son and I'll I'll be working from home. So even though I did my three or four days in a salon, I will still be in my house, maybe two days just doing building my own clientele so it was a bit like a freelance and then it started growing and it would get to the point where I had so many clients I now needed to find a space. So I started by (laughs) renting a chair in a European salon that had just opened um, down the road on Portobello Road and I thought oh why don't I start there and see how I get on and then from there it just grew and grew and grew and then I opened my first business just before I was 29. So in between that, I had heard a lot about the Prince's Trust. There was a a good organisation on Portobello Road called the Portobello Business Centre. So I'll go in there um, like once a week and they will talk to you about the different charities and what they can do to help you start your own business. So when they spoke to me about Prince's Trust, it just seemed right. Because you had to be under 30 and they were really good at um, helping you to launch, you know, your business and they, they gave good advice. Like, I mean, I had a mentor that was amazing. She was an accountant, so she really knew how to, you know, how everything should be in terms of the finance. And, um, yeah, I used to meet her once a week and, you know, I, we really, um, we really nailed it in in terms of putting a business plan together. I was given the grant and a loan and yeah, I opened my first business in um,
1: June 1999. That is yeah. so exciting. And actually, yeah. that's not necessary. I mean, that isn't something that is available to people now, is it? Things like those mentoring services and the grants and the help, really. It's much, much harder, isn't it, these days?
2: It is much harder. It is much harder. But I'm now part of the ambassadors in Prince's Trust. So now I mentor the younger people that are coming through. So I think there are some really good organisations out there and you just need to look for them. I also have my own charity, which I name after my mum, the love com. It's on, and it's, um, it's really good at, I mean, I kind of began with that in Ghana where I would help like young girls, especially because some of them were as young as 15, they've got two kids. And that just, you know, there's no way they're going to make it in life. So I would teach them like hairdressing skills. And then from there, they've gone on to open their own business. I've had, even in, in London, in my salon, I've had lots of girls come in from all over and they've done their training with me. And now they've gone on to, um, to open it. You know, they, they might not have opened their own salon, but they're on their way to starting their own businesses, whether it's freelance or session styling or you know, yeah, they've gone on to do
1: that. I want to talk about your charity in a bit more detail uh, in a bit, but I just do want to go back to okay. the time at splinters, to the sort of earlier part of your career, because for our international listeners, maybe those who haven't visited central London, when we talk about where Charlotte worked, it's within, I mean, look around the corner and you can see Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. So those huge billboards, as you say, you've got Oxford Circus behind you and Regent Street is one of the, most popular most recognized streets in the world so really you really really are in the thick of it and I'm curious about what it was like translating that natural talent for hair uh, into that you were doing with your sister to then working with clients because you've said something really quite interesting about uh, the ability you have to read people and being a therapist and because right at the very beginning I feel like your story with hair starts with love. It's no shock to me whenever I speak to someone who's been in your chair who says you just feel like she's she cares and I wonder how you are able to translate that or how that just came to be that every single client who sits in your chair suddenly becomes I don't know, is it like is it a little sister thing again? <laughs> yeah, I think it's that um <laughs> nurture inside of me
2: because I took over my mum's role at such a young age, at 13, I became like a mother to my sister. And and for me, um, you know, hair is a very personal thing. So you meet someone and within 15 seconds, you're touching them. So it's very personal. And it's like you're you're also touching their crown, which is like you know to me it's very spiritual in a sense that you're kind of laying hands on them on their head you're you're consulting having a look at their hair you're talking to them and people can be quite vulnerable when it comes to their hair because it's it's you know it's quite traumatic if your hair goes wrong it can really just take away all your confidence so for me it's about letting that person feel really safe and also you know if i if i if i share love with you if i if i start with love then it's easier for you to open up and tell me what exactly you want because until i know that i wouldn't know what to do with your hair so it's really important that for me it's more like a a more holistic approach so it's not it's not just about um it's not just about the end result which is a nice style but also i need to know about who you are what you like, what you don't like. So then that would really help with what the end result could look like. Because I know that maybe you work in the corporate world so you cannot have like pink hair, but <laughs> you know, so it's really, and, and also people come in there because they just want to relax. They just want to feel confident about themselves. And you know, it, it really helps when the person that's doing their hair, it's also relaxed. the Mm. ambience so down to the music that we listen to down to even my team how they speak to people how they look you know that the whole vibe of the place is is really important because it's it's such a big part of of all of us you know because people the first thing they see it's your face and your hair and and you know if 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 clients would come in sometimes and They'll be so down, they will not even look at your face. They will have their, their, their head down on the floor. As soon as you've done their hair and they, we've had this amazing chat and they're happy, they just change into something else. They, they'll walk out there like if they're on the catwalk, I'm like, wow, you <laughs> You know, so it's, um, yeah, it's incredible to, to really... For me, it's important that everybody that comes into our space is very relaxed and well received and, and have a nice experience, because it's more than just a haircut, you know, mm. choosing to go to, you know, because how many salons are there? There's so many salons, but they'll choose. People come from Brazil, Nigeria, um, Berlin, you know, people come from all over the world. And why would they choose to come to you? Because there's something that you do for them that nobody else can do. And I don't think it's just the, um, the talent and skills of hair, but it's your aura your personality the you know the vibe i mean clients they they are so um you know some of them would even say to me like oh you've got a new vase i love that they feel like they're part of it you know so if you if you made some good profit and you bought like a new vase and had new flowers or there's a new tissue box they notice everything and they'll be like oh i really love that i love when i come in and there's something new because they feel like that's their space mm-hmm. and they feel like they're part of that whole whole Charlotte Mensa vibe. So, you know, they, they have, (laughs) when they come in, they just love the, the, yeah, even down to people, people have even made friends there and they've, they've literally gone on holidays together. (laughs) So we yeah, it's a very, 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 um, it's very different to a lot of salons. People would always say to me like, wow, I've never been to a salon like this and I'm talking about clients coming from America from, you know, Milan, from Paris. And they're like, this is so different. Because to me, it's like I said, it's more than just a
1: haircut. I'm, I'm going to ask you then, uh, I think it can be quite challenging sometimes. I know I've had bad haircuts in the year, in, mm-hmm. over the years and my energy in the salon as I am leaving is definitely readable and is definitely stormy, shall we say, I am de- I'm yeah. definitely not happy. How as a salon owner are you able to uh, control that? I'm not saying about bad haircuts, I'm talking about mm-hmm. um, if someone comes in with bad energy, right, I've got a 10 o'clock appointment but I need to be done by 10.45. How do you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you can be the constant but you've always got people coming in and out. Yeah. And, and I'm fascinated by that because I think therapist hairdressers do it so brilliantly where they can read someone and they can just do something that takes somebody from being aggravated, annoyed or distressed and they can calm them down so quickly. It's like magic.
2: Yeah. I think you just have to always, you know, like find that balance of what is it that, cause sometimes we all have carrying stuff with us. It's not, it might not be anything to do with the hair, but maybe you just didn't, you know, like you just have to find a way of how do I calm this situation down? It might be a way of offering um, maybe, you know, we always offer like a, a nice cup of tea and a, you know, a piece of cake and just, just, you know, just sit down with them because I mean, you have clients that will come and tell you a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that's going on in their own personal life. And they've probably lost a job or lost a family member. There's always something going on with everybody. And I think it's just, Being able to reach out and just say, well, look, did something go wrong today? How can I help? How can I help to fix this? Because, you know, there's always going to be that one client who's just not, you know, and some people, I mean, we've had people come in where you're like, you know what, this is not the place for you. Like a couple of weeks ago, I had a client that walked in and she had this massive suitcase and it was full of gowns, towels, brushes, combs. Um and I said, So, oh, you know, what, what, what is all this? She even had the scissors. And she said, Well, I only want you to use my own stuff. And I'm like, Well, am we can't do that because I don't, you know, I don't know where your stuff has been. And it might, you know, we've sterilized everything. And if you're feeling this way, you really shouldn't be coming out. You should stay at home because you're not, you're not ready to come out, yeah. you know? And she was like, Oh no, you're so unkind. I said, No, I'm not unkind, but I said, Listen. It's like going to a restaurant and you're bringing the table, the tablecloth, the ingredients, and she wasn't having it. So in the end, I just said to her, do you know what? We're not going to be able to do your hair because you can see from the start that it wasn't going to go well. And she's so anxious that she hasn't, she's not really ready to be Mm. amongst anyone. And I don't think it's the right space, but I had to quickly diffuse it by just saying to her, we cannot do your hair. So it's, it's about being able to, um, to quickly just, you know, find that that way of letting them know, but in a very diplomatic way, not yeah. not aggressively, not 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 in an, you know, just just very diplomatically, because at the end of the day, it's business. It's not mm. you know, it's not like a support group where we're just you know. yeah but
1: yeah you no. know. Let's talk about Afro hair because, like you said, Splinters was the first. Was it the first Afro hair well, it specialist? Was,
2: yeah, it was like, I'm sure there was other salons, but that was the very, very known, that was the most professional. Like, it was open in 1971. And I mean, I, you know, yeah, it was like the one that everybody respected. Everyone loved coming to this salon. It was world-renowned. So people came from all
1: over the world to this one salon. And specialising in Afro hair, did you, did that feel like... Did it feel like it was uh, something that happened a little bit in the quiet? Because you walk, you know, walk down, and see hairdressing billboards with big blowouts and what have you.
2: Yeah, and I Afro
1: think... hair wasn't getting the, any attention at all.
2: No, I think for um, for a long, long time there was this European ideal of what Afro hair looked like, and we in turn like just abused our hair and had it all straightened, and you know we didn't really respect our hair enough and I felt like going to splinters was you know a place where everybody looked like me they had hair like me and I wanted to know all the wonderful things you could do with this hair so that was like the most interesting place to be because people came in those days it was more about the chemical services so we had lots of curly perms lots of um chemically straightened hair lots of coloring lots of You know, like just using chemicals to to actually change the texture. And it was incredible because, to be honest, everyone that came in there had really lovely hair. It It was great. It was the trend was to have this curly, straight, blown out, long, short, shaved. So you saw every kind of trend in this one place. And I think being there as well really opened my eyes to all that you could do with afro hair and some of the stylists were going for competitions and they were winning they were doing like big um salon international and we'll go along and there'll be a lot of um in those days all the brands came from america so all the big brands like dark and lovely tcb optimum they would all come in from the us and do like a big show and at the show you got to learn so much about all of the different techniques and skills and tips and tricks, it was incredible. And I i i, I actually learned so much, but you're right. There wasn't like a lot of like, um, you know, yeah, there was a few, but there wasn't a lot of um, images that showed you how this black beauty was. It was always like someone that was very fair skin or had really long hair, which, you know, if you had short hair, you just felt like, well, I, I couldn't look that good,
1: so then you in turn start abusing your hair to to look this way. But well, it's interesting you say that because uh, you talk about you know what 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 you were doing to black hair and afro hair was um, you putting the European ideal on it, so it was the straightening services, potentially, mm. the chemical straightening. And I was reading, I'm currently reading Mariah Carey's autobiography. Oh, wow. and there's a whole section in there about her hair wow. because she's mixed. And her hair wasn't like her sister's and it wasn't like her mother's. So no one really knew what to do with it. And she obviously, I mean, obviously the amount of time she spends on it in the book, you can tell that it made her feel a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. And how her aunties went to chemically straighten it. And she describes the heat and the the fizz of the, and then this burning sensation. And then her aunties putting their hands on her shoulder and saying, not for you, baby, the chemicals are too strong for your hair because they didn't understand it. Understand it, yeah.
2: But I mean, even me, when I, when I got back from Ghana at the age of 11, in Ghana, we all had short hair. So the shortest hair was like two inches because um, the, the rules at the school is like everybody, whether you're a girl or boy, you all had to have your hair short. So when I got to the UK, my mum then wanted to grow it for me. So she started threading it. And I remember getting bullied. Oh my God, I used to have these threaded hairstyles and everybody at school used to laugh at me like, oh my God, you look like an alien. What are you doing? Look at the state of you. But could you believe that, you know, some 27 years later, or should I even say, not even 27 years, it was actually two years ago, I did Erica Badu's hair for um, the, British, <laughs> the British Fashion Awards. And I did exactly the same threaded hairstyles and it went viral. Everybody's now appreciating it. Oh, wow. You know, it's amazing. But back then, nobody, you'd be laughed at. People look at you like you were like, you know, the, yeah, it was just crazy. It was, you weren't respected. People just would just, yeah, dismiss you. You just wasn't, it's like you're primitive if you had hair like that. So natural hair was never celebrated. It was always quite political, like even in certain spaces, you wouldn't even get a job. Yeah, you wouldn't get a job if your hair was natural, yeah.
1: It it strikes me as well as though you're one of these people who, and correct me if I'm wrong, but who probably, I'm guessing, you thought it was really unfair for people to mock your hair because it was in a threaded style and because it wasn't European looking. And then you probably, I'm guessing, encountered similar feelings during your career. But it seems to me like, instead of focusing on the negative, you tend to turn your vision towards the positive and well, how are we gonna overcome this? And I'm just gonna make this hair beautiful and I don't care what you think.
2: Yes, and that's, what I, that's how I got to create all those stars for my British Afro hairdressing collection. I always wanted to show that black beauty. I wanted to show our hair in its raw state. I never wanted to manipulate the hair too much. So I'd specifically choose girls that are dark skin with natural hair and just style that natural hair, whether it being threaded, braided, um, you know, just the Afros, but just leaving the hair in its natural state and really celebrating it because there was, there's so many textures that are like incredible. You've got kinky, you've got coily, you've got wavy, even in some um, Afro hair, the, the hairs can be quite straight in certain parts. So it's it was so important to, like you said, not focus on the negative, but use it as like a motivation to really show people that you can wear your hair natural. And I was very fortunate um, as far back as 2005, I got to write a column for black hair magazines and it was called Natural Fix. So Natural Fix, I'll take the model from their before image, what they look like. It's a bit like Instagram now where you see the before and after. And I'll kind of show you the steps that I took to achieve the the final look. And we had so many different girls that will come in and they will love it and they'll start wearing their hair natural. They will begin the journey. They will ditch all the chemical straightening. And, And, you know, right now, a lot of them are like so happy that they began that journey. So, yeah, I've always been an advocate for, yeah, you know let's celebrate our hair let's even if you are going to use extensions use it but the the key thing is caring for your hair the health of your hair is so important you know it's, it's vital that your hair itself looks good and it's healthy because we can all put things on but what good is it if you're just putting extensions on and your own hair is just um, destroyed from just doing too many things to it so it's um yeah it's always been a positive for me to celebrate. And really love our God-given textures.
1: And I think that's what I found so fascinating about the the book Good Hair is because I've written about beauty for a very long time and I'm guilty of having spent time on magazines and I haven't worked with any great variation of hair texture to be honest. I also didn't have hair pages or anything like that but when I look back I do think God, I'm really ignorant about that. I can't call myself a beauty editor if I actually don't know. And to learn only recently about the different categories of hair, the the coils and the curls and there's Mm. 4C and and the fact that you outline that in the book. And I think stupidly it might seem, uh, reading Mariah's book and understand and really being able to feel the distress she felt. The fact that there's now a book by someone with your experience that Mm. actually explains to you what your hair is, what it can do, and what you can call it.
2: Yeah, yes. I think it's, it's really important because um, the actual hair textures, it's like a, a good blueprint of like figuring out what your curl type is, and also how to look after it and what products to use. So it goes from one to four. So one being straight and two being wavy three being um, curly and four being kinky. So I am a type 4C, which is in the, in the, in every category, there's three subcategories. So it goes from A, B, C. So I'm 4C, which is the most, most black people have 4C hair, which is the most, like it's, it's it's Afro hair in its raw state. So it doesn't actually have a curl pattern. It doesn't even have a curl. So for you to actually create a curl, you need to manipulate it yourself by either twisting or braiding or putting rods or putting rollers. That's the only way it can look curly. And at the same time, even though that hair tends to look really strong, it's the most fragile of all the hair types. So it breaks very easily. So this hair type is where most, when I say most, it's like at least 80% of black people have this hair type. It's the most difficult in not difficult, but it's, it's like, if you know what to do and the right products to use, it's not difficult, but a lot of people do not know. So then they abuse it and then, then it breaks. And mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, I can only wear a wig. But if, if they had the right, you know, tips and tricks and product information and what to do daily and weekly and monthly, it wouldn't have
1: like, border problems and you actually also let's not forget this part of your incredible career is you've gone into product development as well and that was no easy feat is it right that it took you six years to develop the products
2: yes yes I talk about this a lot in good hair as well because um, it took me six years because I was very 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 um, adamant that it had to be the best luxurious product on the market for afro curly hair I mean I had I'd worked with so many brands, so many big brands, so many products. Obviously, when you're in a salon, you use about over 20, 30 products. But I always felt like there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a product that aesthetically looked beautiful and performed well on Afro hair because clients would often complain to me, oh, it's too greasy. Oh, it's not enough. It's just drying my hair. I don't like the smell. I don't, so it was just so many different problems that they had with the products and i just thought you know what wouldn't it be good to have one product that does it all that looks good and also performed well that actually made a difference to the hair so i began researching and obviously growing up in ghana i knew a lot about shea butter because shea butter the finest the best ever shea butter comes from ghana it's full of vitamin e it's very moisturizing and conditioning but by the time I got into actually um, producing the products, sheer butter was everywhere. It was in toilet roll. It was. In, <laughs> it lost. It, it lost. <laughs> it lost its exclusivity. It didn't have that. That you no. Know, that um. What do you call it? It just became like a. Just you know that respect. It didn't. It have was that, everywhere. Yeah, and yeah, it was it, everywhere. It just didn't have that exclusiveness anymore. So. Um luckily i got this amazing opportunity i was doing a wedding in the serengeti um during my 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 break i i decided to have a head massage and the therapist had used this oil which i was like oh this is amazing it, my hair feels so soft and you know it feels really nourished." and she said oh it's manchetti so i was like manchetti i've never heard of it so then i began to research and I found that it existed for over six thousand years, and um, it grew, it grows mainly in the seren- like in the southern part of Africa. So it would be like Namibia, um, Botswana. Um, yeah, it just, it just had like this amazing benefits. Like it was full of polyunsaturated fatty acids. It was full of vitamin E, and it just really nourishes the hair to the point where it just felt so good but it didn't have that greasy feel because whenever you say oil people automatically think oh it's going to be dripping with grease it's going to be oily and just all over but it it didn't do that and I love the fact that it works really well on curly textures so that became like the star ingredient on all of my products and yeah it's it's been it's been incredible it took me it took me so long as well because I just wanted it to be the best out there. So I'd rather just take my time and get it right. And also, I was fortunate to have the clients in the salon to test it on. So it, it was like, you know, if we didn't have enough of um, conditioning benefits, I'll ask them for more conditioning. If we didn't have enough of the oil, I'll ask for more oil. So it just kept going on and going on. Plus, I did it all myself. So it was all self-funded.
1: That's what I was going to say, Charlotte, because yeah. I bet there were, there were lots of people over the years who've offered to put your name on their product. So many,
2: so many. It was all self-funded. And initially, because I I thought, oh, you know, I don't have a lot of money. Let me go with a freelancer who was really not that great. But I didn't know at the time. I just thought, oh, he's cheaper than the big manufacturers. Let me go with him. But it just kept going wrong. So in the end, I lost six thousand then I had to go back to the manufacturers and then really sit down and work out what exactly is it that I wanted. So I think in a way it was good that, you know, it went wrong with um, the freelancer because I learned what I didn't want. So it actually made me know what I wanted. And that's why it has such a, a strong presence in the marketplace because I now began to really tell my story because you've got a product, it's in a shop. It's actually like you in a bottle in the shop. So how do you get people to understand what it is that you're doing? And why how, why would someone want to buy you? There's 15 others there. Why would they choose you? So I began to really share who I was, my expertism, which is in afro curly hair, And two, my heritage. Because, you know, I, even though I was born in London, I grew up in Accra. So I have both both cultures deeply in me and I wanted people to know that and see and see where I was coming from and even down to the um the actual logo it's my initials but I used um a cloth that we have in Ghana called kente cloth so kente cloth is a very colorful woven beautiful that kings and queens wear and I really wanted to to show that because my grandparents had worn this like going to these amazing, like you know, events and weddings and, you know, it, it was like a very respected fabric. So I wanted to use that, but then because it was so colourful, it just didn't work with the packaging. So then I, I began to look at other African fabrics and I found this fabric from Sierra Leone called the Cuba cloth. So the Cuba cloth is similar to the Kente cloth, but it's all kind of woven. So it's woven graphic shapes, but it's never even. So I I I I used some of that and then I changed it into my initials, which is the C and the
1: M that you could see on the logo. Mm.
2: Yeah, it sounds yeah. as
1: well. I mean, there's six years to develop a product and to to have things not always go the way that you wanted them to. You've said something before, which is just sometimes your path simply doesn't run straight. Yeah, and it sounds like you're someone who just goes well. That's role with the punches.
2: Yes, I think that's how you got to be in life. You got to, you got to believe in yourself and just. I always say, like this journey of life, it's, um, it's a bit like there's some heavy traffic. Would you rather be stuck in the heavy traffic or stay in your lane and just go slower until you get there? Because it's about your life. It's about your journey. What do you want for your life? And I think as women as well, we often compete and think oh i want to be like her but that's not you so i i i believe that um whatever happens nobody's you know your story is unique to you and 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 it's about you it's it's about your journey so always stay in your lane and 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 just keep going and whatever it is that you want it will happen it might not happen at the time that you've envisaged or the time that you've put to, you know, oh, OK, I want to do it in six months. It might not happen. It might happen in six years. But just, you know, believe that it's all about the process as well. And even going through the process is important because sometimes that's actually where you learn the most. Because sometimes you get to the, the end and you're like, oh, is this it? Oh. <laughs> but, you know, we kind of miss the process because we're so busy looking to get to the end and you don't enjoy the process so enjoy the process let it all be part
1: of it because it's yeah it is it's, it's all part of your unique story oh, do you mind me asking you obviously have a really strong sense of self that's what I'm yes. really hearing where do you think yeah. that comes from I think that
2: comes from my grandparents because they were so strong believers in they had a very spiritual strong like my grandmother especially she was always praying about everything. Even when we were six, she would pray over some water and we'll drink it and we will instantly become well. So she had this power and she believed in herself, you know, so she, 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 she kind of instilled that in us without us even knowing, I think it, it was really um, instilled in us that, you, you know, you got this, you can do it. You know, every day you wake up, thank God you're up and just get on with it. Whatever happens, use it as a, use the challenges as a motivation, use it as a lesson, get up and keep going. You know, it only stops when you're dead. So just keep going whilst you're here. You have to keep going, you know, and just believe, believe in yourself. Who's going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself, you have to believe in yourself first and other people believe in you. So if you don't have that in your makeup, if you don't have that as part of your, as part of your, um, you know, you've got to have, like, yeah, you've got to have that power, that power to, to be able to, to stand on your own two feet. And and whatever happens, just let it be and just carry on.
1: Do you think, we talked earlier about the people that you were at London College of fashion with at the same time, maybe it's the fact that you were all dreamers, but you also really believed it was going to happen deep down?
2: Yes, yes. I think we all kind of knew that I think it's you know you have to have that passion isn't it you know that passion of um you know it's it's like if you're gonna do anything you have to it with passion or don't do it at all so the passion is what when sometimes when you're doubt da- on you know you're doubting yourself it's it's that thing that gives you that motivation I think we were all like we all had passion passion is like there's a flame inside you and you have to keep that flame burning you have to keep it's like moment that fire is gone you know you just so you have to keep lighting that flame you've got to have that passion you've got to have that that I want to do this I want to wake up and do this and I'm happy to do it not just because I'm going to make lots of money but because it gives you joy Mm. it gives you joy and when you when you achieve those things you feel even more like you know happier and you, you kind of get, like, I get my energy of people, like, the more people I see, the more energized I am, people are like, oh my God, you got, an, you got like a, you know, you got the energy of a 10-year-old, I said, yeah, because <laughs> the more people, because I've always been around people in hairdressing, there's always a lot of people around, and they actually, I don't know, going to work for me empowers me, I love meeting the women, I love going on the shoots, I love meeting all of the creatives, and it, it just kind of inspires you and motivates you to to do more and you know listening to other people's stories listening to their their journey on what they've done it just affirms that anything is possible the only person that's holding you back is yourself
1: preach i believe (laughs) that i believe that so much and also you have said something uh that i really love actually because I mean, even in our conversation about the product and you talk about failure and I personally have chosen to see failure as a path to success. That's how, yeah. I, that's how I try to navigate yeah. it. But you've also talked about the benefit of a good cry when you come up against um, an obstacle and how you, and I might be misquoting you, but I think you said yeah. something along the lines of a good cry cleanses the soul. And then when you finish crying, you're re-energized.
2: Yes. Yes, I think crying is, is part of it all. It's all the spiritualness of letting it go, letting it go. I mean, I often like sometimes the first thing I do in my room is just I get on my knees and I cry. If things and if I'm really disappointed about something or if something has gone wrong that I don't understand, I don't know how to fix. I just need to let it go. So, um, you know, I, I believe so much about, you know, letting, letting things go because you need to forgive. First of all, you need to forgive yourself if something has gone wrong and you don't understand, and you know you have a problem with someone and it's just all gone wrong, you need to forgive yourself and and forgive them because that's the only way you'd be free. You know, you be free to get on with what you need to get on with, to to be able to dream more, to be able to to um to um to actually create more. But when you're not forgiving people and you're bitter inside and you're not feeling good about that all so that crying is like a release you know just letting it all go and 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 also it's um it's 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 like a spiritual cleanse that you need to do for you to get to the next step so every now and then yeah it's it's part of life it's the same way you cry the same way you should laugh (laughs) yeah you should laugh too laughing too is brilliant you know I mean, I, I one thing I do in the salon, like some of the clients often ask me. They said, "Have you ever thought of being a comedian?" I said, "Why?" They said, "Some of the things you come." Out with. <laughs> they said, "Some of the things you come out with." But it's it's important, you know. All of these things are, it's it's what we need to thrive in this life. You know, we need all of
1: these things to thrive. It's true. Yeah. I have loved talking to you, Charlotte and. Uh, I've I've learned so much and you, you build up an image in your mind when you're researching someone and obviously I've seen you around and I've watched a lot of videos of yours um, and when I got to the end of all my research I always just write in a bubble at the top of my page like what's my overriding yeah. feeling and with you it was technical and emotional excellence. <laughs>
2: That's deep. I've not heard that one before. That's a brilliant one. (laughs) Technical
1: and emotional excellence. I love that. Yeah, both in share, both in in your ability to do both, but your ability to share it as well. Yeah,
2: I think it's so important. It's so important. I think you know it's it's been such a traumatic, like the tough the toughness of the life that we've been through, in terms of losing our mum at such a young age, but. You know, it's I think that self-belief from the onset just kept us going, kept us going. And I know people that have had like, you know, parents dying young and they're all like all over the place. They didn't get their life together. But me and all my siblings, honestly, we've all smashed it, smashed it in the way that we have each other. We, You know, we encourage one another and, and we give each other support. You know, it's it's been hard, but we've had like, yeah, we've had good opportunities as well. And we saw those opportunities and went for those opportunities. Cause sometimes when you're so like, you know, when you're so like traumatized, you don't even see the opportunities. You just miss mm. miss everything. So um I'm so grateful for good hair and you know, I, I, I know it would do well because yes, you got yours oh so so honestly
1: it's 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 so lovely and like I said I mean I I have straight hair my only issue that I've ever had with my hair is that I've had alopecia and um but I do know what it was like as an overweight teenager to not be able to buy clothes in Topshop and the high street and to feel like I wasn't represented and when I sometimes listen to my friends talk about their textured hair and how it's made them feel mm. obviously i can't empathize exactly but i can think yeah do you know what I, used to, I I kind of it's never nice to feel isolated or to feel as though you're not catered for and what yeah. this book does is it tells you who you are
2: yes
1: <laughs> it's okay that,
2: yeah i think it's it's got so much about the history of black hair as well which is so important a lot of people don't even know what that is in terms of like in certain parts of africa like as soon as a baby is born you know they will shave the baby's hair because it's it's like a communication to the ancestors and the spiritual world and the same thing happened like last year my brother died and his wife had to shave her hair because it's a sign of respect and then in certain cultures as well in africa they they really like their hair to be like really tall So it's like a a communication to the higher heavens and the spirit, you know, it's, it's got so much. Mm. Yeah. It's so important that in our society, we kind of lost our way in understanding why that is. And when I was also growing up as a a, a teenager and even learning um, when I was on the YTS, I never had a book like Good Hair. It was like, if you had a, a, a hairdressing book, it was very kind of scientific and so like, you know, it just was boring. So you do your test, you pass the test and you just chuck the book somewhere. Yeah. But I feel like this is a very much needed book that would actually help people to understand the history of black hair and also to understand their own hair and and, and look after it and to have it in its, in its best um, vitality. Like it's, you know, it's, it's nice to do things to your hair, but at the, at the end of the day, the most important thing is and the key thing is how you look after it you know so you because there's a lot of people with um afro curly hair as well that they'll get to a certain age and all of the hair they've got like they suffer from a lot of hair loss or their hairlines are all receded because they've done too much to it so having a book like this it just really helps you to to really fall in love with your god given texture and i remember like um a year ago, I went to a boarding school to, to do some mentoring for these young girls. And I was mortified when I met like 11-year-olds wearing wigs. I was like, you're 11, you're wearing a wig? But you know what? They were more interested in straightening the wigs than actually caring for their own hair. So in my heart, I just kept praying, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for good hair to come out. I can't wait for good hair to, to be like in libraries so these kids can pick it up you know, I can't wait for it to be published so that they can buy it as Christmas present because it's like, I was so shocked, you know, that at 11 years old, you're actually more interested in a wig than actually learning your subject. So I'm happy that the book is
1: here and um, hopefully, yeah. Well, I'm sure, um, I think everyone, I, I, it's such an interesting read and it yeah. made me feel really terrible that I have called myself a beauty editor and I didn't know
2: oh, any of
1: this. Well, so thank you for educating there's, there's me.
2: Oh, I guess there's time for everything. So this is the time. It's an important time and I'm glad we're all here and it's all, um, yeah, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time.
1: It's been such an honour to speak to you and listeners, obviously the links to Charlotte, the book, the products, the uh, foundation, Everything will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But Charlotte Mensah, thank you so much for coming on The Emma Gunn Show. Oh, thank you, Emma. I loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, please don't hesitate. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then please simply click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. You do have to answer a couple of questions and I do insist on you answering and agreeing to those forum rules but once you have you'll be welcomed in with open arms and I cannot wait to see you there thank you so much for listening I will see you on the next one